welcome to day 36 of Crikey's Election Cast. It's Monday, the 16th of May. I'm Cam Wilson. The centerpiece of the Liberal Party's campaign launch yesterday was a policy that would let first home buyers dip into their superannuation. Earlier today, Crikey's political editor Bernard Keane, in conversation with Tips and Murmurs editor Charlie Lewis, makes the case that this is just the latest example of this government dudding young Australians. Enjoy. Bernard, are you there? I can say I'm finally here, Charlie. My apologies. Not at all, not at all. Uh, so glad to have you here. So as I've been um, bamping for time while we, while we got you on, and I've been saying that we're talking about um, uh, the Liberal Party's policy pitch over the weekend, um, for those of us who are listening and who perhaps did have something better to do over the weekend, talk us through these um, these two new pitches. Uh, well, yes, the, um, the centrepiece really of Scott Morrison's um, federal campaign launch and of course, why they're launching their campaign with a week to go to the election is a story for another day. Um, but the centrepiece, centrepieces, I guess, were a, an attempt really to craft a, a policy on housing. Now, one, one part of it, which was leaked a bit earlier to the, the media, basically revolves around uh, widening this, the eligibility for um, people uh, who own houses who may choose to sell them uh, because they're, they've, you know, they're empty nesters, they've reached a point in their lives when large house is no longer perhaps suitable, and they want to sell and they want to downsize, and um, they, you know, the, the eligibility or, the, or the, the conditions under which you can put some of the proceeds of selling your house into your superannuation have been relaxed. So it's now easier and you can be younger and put... Um, more of your money from selling your house and maybe you know moving into an apartment or moving into a smaller house into your superannuation. Now that was released, that was leaked, uh, dropped more accurately to uh, the media yesterday morning, and that's as fine as far as it goes. Labor immediately said, as they've been doing right through this campaign, uh, they immediately said, "Me too. We'll do that as well." Uh, very anxious not to you know, to avoid any sort of wedge. The second and much more uh, inflammatory and important uh, proposal was left for the speech itself by Scott Morrison, and that is to allow people to uh, dip into their superannuation in order to put together a deposit for a home. Um, uh, in essence, you can uh, take out up to 40% of your superannuation for a deposit um, if you're a first home buyer. You've got to eventually pay back that amount into your super under the rules, uh, plus whatever capital gain you make. Um, but in essence, it's not too different from uh, a number of other proposals that have been raised in recent years, mainly by the right of the Liberal Party um, to uh, get people to be able to dip into super and, um, and use that for purchasing a house. Um, so we've got now, we've got now you know, a, a fairly clear shift by the government, which has, for the last nine years, refused repeatedly to, uh, to really um, allow the use of superannuation for housing um, to uh, adopting that policy, basically as a centrepiece of its last sort of ditch uh, re-election effort. Fascinating. And I guess there's, there's rather a lot to rather a lot to unpack from all of that. I guess the, the first thing is to look at the, that I like to know is the, the, the practical implications. What what effect is this expected to have on the um, on the housing market? Well, look, the, according to um, you know, people who know what they're talking about, 
it will increase demand without doing much to increase supply. Now, let's let's start with Scott Morrison's view of things. Um, it's only fair. It's his policy. He says that it, it, in effect, it's a balanced policy. On the one hand, it will encourage supply because um, older people who want to downsize will have more incentive to downsize, so they'll be uh, happier to sell their homes and you know move into something smaller. Um, so that will take that will that will take care of the supply element, and of course making it easier to put together a deposit, allowing access to additional funding for a deposit will increase demand. So people who can't at the moment put together a deposit for a house, um, uh, they'll be able to, or at least some of them will be able to, courtesy of this new policy. So there'll be an increase in demand, there'll be an increase in supply. Now, as, as a housing affordability measure, that's kind of pointless. <laughs> you've increased supply and you've increased demand and they sort of cancel each other out. So we don't actually have uh, an improvement in housing affordability. You get an improvement in housing affordability if you significantly increase supply. And everyone who's opined, commented, talked about, blathered on about um, the housing market in recent years will tell you this is about supply. We don't have enough supply. Uh, There are demand problems. For example, taxpayers subsidise investors to buy housing, um, uh, or to, to, to buy and then rent out housing. But the big problem is we don't have enough supply. Uh, other people have a you know, less optimistic view than Scott Morrison. Uh, Ray White Real Estate, uh, you know, Australia's biggest, I think Australia's biggest, certainly second biggest um, property group, a real estate group rather, says that they expect that this will increase demand for um, houses, um, uh, you know, push, push prices up. They also make that uh, criticism, by the way, of Labor's policy as well. So, you know, this is a pretty you know, independent um, perspective. Core Logic, the property uh, group, property um, uh, analyst group, they also say that this will push up demand for prices uh, for houses and, and therefore push prices up. And really, you know, I can't I can't see anyone who's not saying you know who's, who's not agreeing with that. Um, you know, it's a pretty straightforward sum. You know, if you increase demand, then it's going to push prices up. Clearly, people don't think the downsizing slash. Uh, um, Expansion of eligibility for for concessionary treatment of of, of house sales is going to do much to incentivise people to downsize. The, I mean, just just a little footnote on the downsizing thing. The downsizing issue is a real problem, and you know, just the tip of the hat to Scott Morrison for actually acknowledging it exists. Because one of the things that has been repeatedly identified as a problem in our housing market is that we, we don't have enough flexibility in our housing market. It's we make it unnecessarily hard for people to sell a house and move somewhere else and buy another house. We have things like stamp duty that deter people from uh, from changing where they live, and that that has all sorts of implications. So, you know, if you take a job somewhere else and it'd be more convenient to live uh, on the other side of the town, well, you, do, you might end up thinking, well, I've got to pay, you know, you know thirty thousand bucks stamp duty. Why would I do that? Um, so this whole issue of the impediments to um, flexibility in areas like downsizing is actually quite significant. But I don't think anyone's saying that what the government's proposed is really going to shift the dial uh, very much. Um, and my favourite housing expert, Saul Leslake, distinguished economist, uh, and also a long-time member of, of uh, the government's now abolished um, housing council, You know, a man who has been working on, amongst other things, housing economics for a very long time. He's called this the worst policy in 30 or 40 years. He's being pretty scathing of it, including in, in Crikey today. And uh, I think that sort of seals the deal. Uh, the government's policy is going to push 
prices up, it's going to make the housing affordability worse. And of course, who are the beneficiaries? Well, the beneficiaries, as always in housing policy in Australia, uh, turn out to be people who own homes um, because they'll benefit from higher prices if they do choose to sell their homes. With all of that feedback in mind, so of the various independent groups and economists saying that this will drive up up prices, what? How is the government justifying it? Has there been any modelling, any kind of evidence behind this policy? Uh, Not as such. Um, Certainly not according to the Prime Minister. The Prime Minister was challenged. It's been challenged a few times, actually, to say, you know, to produce the modelling. He's been asked, where's your modelling to to show what the impact is going to be? It doesn't sound like there is any modelling. If there is modelling, it's somewhere probably deep inside Treasury, and I suspect I've got a good idea of what it says, which is what everyone's saying, which is this is going to push up. Um, house prices. Um, so it's it's really look the the, the justification of it is as, as I outlined a bit earlier. Uh, Scott Morrison saying this is all about balance. This is all about you know we're increasing supply on the one hand, we're increasing demand on the other. Which uh, you know as I said ain't going to do much for housing affordability. Full stop. Even if you accept that there's some sort of significant uh, shift in supply, courtesy of the um, the expansion of eligibility. So um, quite where it's all coming from other than the uh, Liberal Party campaign headquarters, is not clear. You, um, you mentioned before, uh, you alluded to sort of Labour's um, desperation not to be wedged on more or less anything that they can avoid this time around and sort of locking into a bit of a Me Too kind of uh, rhythm with a lot of the government's policies. Um, on this factor in particular, how does Labour's policy compare? Well, Labour's got a, a policy of, which is a policy that's already at work in Victoria and has been recently been introduced in Western Australia and has been, you know, is in place in the UK uh, as well. It may be in place elsewhere, but um, I'm not, not aware of uh, where else it's a work, which is that um, the government kind of, you know, goes, uh, you know, helps you buy a home by co-investing in your home. So in the case of Labor's policy, if you want to buy a new home and you're a first-time buyer and you are a low-income earner, um, you can get up to 40% of the equity in your house paid for by the Commonwealth. That means you own 60%, Commonwealth owns 40% in the same way that um, uh, you know, similar state-based schemes work. And you don't pay rent to the Commonwealth. You don't, uh, you know, for all intents and purposes, you own your house. But if you sell the house uh, down the track, then the Commonwealth gets some of the capital gain that you know, usually you get when you sell your house in Australia. Um, occasionally, house prices do drop, um, but by and large, Australia's expected there houses will appreciate in value. So, you know, in, in a few years' time, if you sell it, or 10 years' time, whenever, if you sell that house, then you've got to pay the Commonwealth back, obviously, the original sum plus the part of the capital gain, its share of the capital gain. Um, or at any stage, you can buy out the, um, uh, the, capital, uh, the, the government share once your income uh, reaches a certain level. So um, you can basically gradually accumulate 100% of the value of your house. Now, the question you should, you should immediately ask about that policy is, is it going to do the same thing as allowing people to dip into their super, which is just increased demand for houses? And of course, that's exactly what it's going to do. Um, you know, I think, I think Ray White Real Estate is actually quite right. I think both the government and Labor's policies are simply going to push up demand for housing. Uh, on the one hand, you've got people who are dipping into their super. You butte, I've got a deposit. I can go into the market and buy a house. On the other hand, you've got people who basically are rocking up to auctions with the government as, uh, as their co-contributor. Uh, in both cases, they are competing against everyone else, many cases probably in the same boat. Um, and 
therefore bidding up the price of houses. I mean, as, as Sol Eslake says in Craig today, today, every time you give people more money to go into the housing market with, it simply drives up house prices. So both parties are guilty of basically pushing policies that are going to drive uh, uh, house prices up. The only real distinction is that the Commonwealth policy is uncapped. So um, you can take out up to 40% of your super. doesn't matter how big your super is. I think if you've got I think if you're like a first home buyer and you've got 150 grand in super, you probably don't need to be dipping into your super to buy a house. It sounds like you've probably got enough income uh, to, to acquire it through, through the normal, uh, normal route. But there's no limit on the, kind of, on the house you buy, whereas under Labor's policy, there's a limit on, on how much you can pay for a house. Um, there's no limit on the number of people who can take advantage of the superannuation process compared to Labor's policy where it's capped at 10000 a year. Um, and by and large, you know, it's a free-for-all under the government's approach versus a pretty targeted uh, policy on the part of Labor. Labor's policy, by the way, is intended to generate a return over time, as you'd expect. So you know, if you've got the government owning up to 40% of a new home or 30% of an established home, you'd expect that after a few years when people start selling their homes, that the government's going to start recouping some of the capital gain from that investment. And that's exactly what is, is estimated. And Labor's commitment is that they're going to direct that a capital gain component that the Commonwealth is uh, getting into uh, social housing investment or affordable housing investment. They're quite different categories. They're social housings, um, what we used to call public housing, affordable housing is uh, housing that is designed for uh, people in, on low or even up to uh, middle incomes um, who have difficulty getting into the rental market or difficulty getting into, uh, into the property market in areas where they need to live um, in order to access work. So uh, it's a much more targeted policy on the part of Labor, but in terms of the impact on prices, um, I think it's a bit of a much of a muchness when it comes to um, uh, you know, which side's worse in terms of reducing housing affordability. Right, right. And um, I guess to, to focus back in on the coalition in particular, um, there's, the, the real question is, I mean, it, it, it appears, you, I mean, you're right saying, Cranky, that uh, this is the kind of policy that senior liberals have been sort of actively slamming and trying to distance themselves from for years, going back to John Howard and Peter Costello. What, what, what's behind the push now? Why is this happening now? Do you think? Well, it's a quite, ex- quite extraordinary list of, of liberals who have slammed this policy uh, in the last sort of 10 years, starting with Matthias Cormann. Um, and Malcolm Turnbull. Malcolm Turnbull, he's been as Malcolm Turnbull is. He's certainly, you know, not backward in coming forward in expressing his opinion, and he's been out uh, echoing it over the last twenty-four hours, saying it is a really bad idea. And there's, you know, a long list of other liberals, um, including John Howard uh, on March thirty, uh, right after the budget, saying no, super is for retirement. Doesn't agree with uh, with. Um, a, um, a House of Economics, House of Economics, a, a, a House Economics Committee report chaired by Jason Falinski, Sydney Liberal MP, which recommended that people be able to access their super not to fund a deposit, but uh, basically as a sort of a, a an asset against which they could uh, secure uh, a loan. So uh, you know the idea has been around for a while. Um, Jason Falinski didn't push it, push the you know the directly dipping into your super. Uh, for a House uh, proposal in his report, but it's certainly been on the agenda of other uh, Liberal MPs. Tim Wilson 
probably most spectacularly, he was he was a, previously the chair of the House Economics Committee. He used that committee to really go hard after uh, industry super funds. Um, and uh, Liberal Senator Andrew Bragg has also been a strong proponent of allowing people to access super for their homes. He too was a very ardent critic of superannuation. And that kind of gives us a clue about what this is really all about, apart from electoral calculations. And this is, this is you know, volume 352 of the, um, the, uh, the coalition war on industry superannuation funds and super more broadly. There is a deep malice within the, the Liberal Party toward superannuation. And um, they have tried repeatedly over a number of years to undermine uh, or directly attack superannuation and particularly industry, industry super funds um, uh, especially. Mostly without success, they had some success during the pandemic with allowing people to take out money from their superannuation, uh, which saw did see some big outflows from super funds. But uh, I think this is this is uh, the culmination of a long campaign by a number of liberals, uh, usually uh, backbench liberals or previously backbench liberals, to really shift the dial in terms of the Liberal Party's long-standing dislike of um, of super, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, superannuation and particularly industry super funds. It also links to another long-term campaign that you've written a lot about, certainly in the entire time I've been at Crikey, about the kind of constant successive attacks on the young by successive um, administrations. Where do you think this fits in with, with that kind of narrative? Well, it's, look, it's, it's of a piece with what is a broader set of economic uh, parameters that are squarely... I was going to say squarely skewed. I don't think you can be squarely skewed, but um, uh, it's certainly been skewed against the interests of young people. It's not necessarily entirely um, the prerogative of the coalition. I think both sides have been guilty of this. But if you look at climate policy, um, Australia's inaction there and our failure to really pursue international leadership on that issue is, has been a betrayal of the long-term economic interests of, of younger Australians who are going to bear a much more significant cost from climate change than uh, we are. Uh, on fiscal policy, of course, the last few years have seen the racking up of a quite extraordinary level of debt that is going to have to be paid by taxpayers of uh, in coming decades. Um, that's the young people of today. On wages, uh, in the last 10 years, have really seen wage stagnation. We're seeing real wage falls at the moment. That is mainly borne by low-income earners, and therefore that is... Uh, uh, born to a considerable degree by young people as well. So they have seen quite poor wages growth in recent years, and they're going to continue uh, to see it. Um, on education policy, um, we've seen underinvestment in tertiary education. We've seen big problems with vocational education, obviously ongoing issues around higher education. And when you factor in superannuation and the idea that we should be encouraging our young people basically to raid their own superannuation, in order to bid up the price of houses that are owned by uh, mostly wealthy older people, you know, you really, you know, you're ticking it on a box in what is a government-wide assault on the economic interests of um, uh, of young people. Particularly if you bear in mind that the first part of this housing policy that we discussed earlier, which relates to widening the eligibility for the treatment of uh, concessional treatment of the returns from selling a house. That costs money in terms of lost tax revenue. It's a tax expenditure, and therefore it's you know it's a lot it's 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 loss of money to the tax system. And who pays for that? Well, of course, 
taxpayers do. Taxpayers will continue to pay for it in coming years if it's established. And basically, that means that young people as taxpayers uh, will be funding the very mechanism that's led to them being impoverished and having lower retirement incomes. So it's a, you know, it's a pretty comprehensive um, demolition job on the economic interests of, um, of young Australians. And uh, you know, it's certainly a culmination of, of something that's been going on for quite some time now across a whole range of major public policy issues. Well, on that, on that fantastically yeah, cheesy note, we <laughs> <laughs> we're out of time, I'm afraid. Um, Bernard, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Um, thank you, everyone, for joining us as well. We'll be back tomorrow at the same time, uh, but also keep an eye out for our afternoon edition. Crikey is doing uh, two daily editions throughout the course of the election. And if you'd like to catch up with our previous broadcasts, you can find Crikey's election cast on most podcast platforms. I'm Charlie Lewis, the Tips and Murmurs editor here at Crikey. Uh, speak to you again tomorrow. That was Bernard Keane, Crikey's political editor, speaking to Charlie Lewis, our Tips and Murmurs editor. Thank you for listening to Crikey's election cast today. As always, if you have a few spare minutes, we'd love it if you could give us a review on whatever podcast platform you choose. And we'll be back tomorrow to keep you company in the lead up to the federal election this Saturday. Talk to you tomorrow.